On this episode of One Hour in the Past, we're exploring the history of summer music festivals. So after rehearsal in 1904, in which Wood was faced with a sea of an entirely unfamiliar faces in his own orchestra, uh, Wood's partner and the producer of the proms and the founder, Robert Newman, came on the platform and announced, quote, gentlemen, in the future, there will be no deputies. Good morning. (laughs) I love that. Uh, 40 players resigned en masse and formed their own orchestra, the London Symphony Orchestra, which is one of the, yeah, right? (laughs) Isn't that great? It's one of the oldest, most successful, most famous uh, symphony orchestras in the world. Welcome to One Hour in the Past, a podcast series presented by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center and hosted by me, Kathleen Powell, Curator and Supervisor of Historical Services, and Adrian Petrie, Visitor Services Coordinator. Our community is filled with diverse stories, and we recognize that our story begins with the Indigenous peoples of this land. We acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on lands that have been inhabited by Indigenous peoples for millennia, and we would like to honor the centuries of Indigenous peoples who walked on Turtle Island before us. As museum professionals, our jobs are many-fold. We are managers, curators, customer service representatives, historians, tour guides, and much more. Sometimes we find ourselves pining for interesting histories in our daily work. The podcast has a simple idea. Research can lead you in some strange and wonderful directions. Like Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, you can easily end up down a winding rabbit hole that takes you off your original path towards some new and amazing historical places. Because we don't have all day, we each only get just one hour to research the topic. Just 60 minutes. That's it. We research separately and then come back together to discuss where one hour in the past has taken us. On this episode of One Hour in the Past, we're exploring the history of summer music festivals. We always start with a definition. So here's the definition of festival, assuming you don't need a definition of music. There are a few definitions actually for this one. Uh, The first is a day or a period of celebration, typically a religious commemoration. The next is an annual celebration or anniversary. Uh, And the last one is an organized series of concerts, plays, or movies, typically one held annually in the same place. Festival is, of course, Old French derived from medieval Latin festivalis, which is awesome. Uh, The Latin festivus, which most Seinfeld fans will be familiar with. (laughs) Or the early Latin festum, Uh, which is the plural of festa, which means feast. And if you put all those things together, uh, religious uh, ceremonies or celebrations, uh, celebrations of anniversaries, uh, those all things make sense to go with the word feast and festival. Next up, we share where we began our research and where we ended up. Where I started was a Google search of the history of music festivals which brought me to some different newspaper or different news articles, but most specifically Wikipedia's definition of music festivals, which is fairly similar to what you had. Uh, but uh, I went really more in the music education direction, as you'll hear. Uh, and where I ended up 
with was the TD Niagara Jazz Festival. That's so cool. <laughs> um, I started at the Pythian Games at Delphi <laughs> back in ancient Greece. And uh, I ended up on the arena floor of the Royal Albert Hall in London, England for tonight's performance of the Brahms Requiem. So, all right, Kathleen, why don't you go first? You can give us the full picture. Tell us all about your research journey into summer music festivals. So I looked up the de- kind of the definition online of... Um, the hi- actually, I googled history of music festivals because <laughs> I wanted to see what would come up. Because um, I, I thought, you know, maybe I want to go in a different direction, but I wasn't really sure. So anyway, the history of music festivals basically had the definition that you've already brought forward. Uh, but then it also had another kind of sub-definition that was uh, another type of music festival is music education, often organized in local communities, regionally or nationally, for the benefit of amateur musicians. Usually they play a piece of music in front of an audience, and then there's an adjudicator who comes in and uh, gives them feedback on their performance. And I thought, yes. the And then, of course, I brought it back to local history because I remember... Uh, many friends and family members who have played in what is now the Kiwanis Music Festival, nice. <laughs> which has a hundred year history in our community, which I didn't realize it was actually so long. It's actually just a little bit less than a hundred year history. It's 90, 90 ish years. Uh, and uh, so my research basically led me on a, a little bit of a um, kind of a direction of, of reading about the history of the Kiwanis Music Festival. Uh, I actually tried to see if I could find some photos in our collection that have been scanned and digitized of the Kiwanis Music Festival, but I couldn't find any, although I did find a whole bunch of pictures uh, in different media clippings of uh, students who played in the, uh, the Kiwanis Music Festival <laughs> over the years. <laughs> I started my kind of searched through Kiwanis Music Festival with uh, a little bit of a history uh, and found out that the roots of this festival, it wasn't actually called the Kiwanis Music Festival, it was called the Lincoln County Music Festival originally, um, is actually a, it was a rural festival. It wasn't really for urban uh, people because I guess they had lots of opportunity to show their work if they were music students and musicians. And uh, so the first festival was actually held in Beamsville, uh, and it was held in 1933. And uh, more communities joined as they continued along. Uh, and eventually, all of most of Niagara's communities have a part of the Kiwanis Music Festival uh, nowadays, a local section. And uh, so now it's a, a more of an urban rural uh, festival. Uh, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, prior 19, to 1976, the festival itself was actually financed, and this will not come as any surprise to you, Adrian, based on your knowledge of local history, was financed by various women's institutes. Mm. So, of course. Yeah, they, uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that they would provide no. opportunities to local um, musicians to be able to showcase their work. Uh, so that's yeah. really great. The women's institutes did so much local service work over the history of St. Catharines over the last 
you know, 200 years nearly. And so uh, I'm not surprised that they had their fingers in the pie, uh, so to speak, mm-hmm. <laughs> in this one as well. Uh, and then in 1976, the Kiwanis Club took over the music festival uh, and uh, and they've financed it uh, through a good portion of its, uh, its more modern history. Um, and at its peak, the Kiwanis Music Festival in Niagara has had over 1,000 participants. Close to 2,000, wow. I think, was the highest I'd found in the, the clippings that I could find, uh, which I think is great. And it's all youth of all ages uh, participating. Um, and the whole idea was to expose kids to different kinds of music so that the kind of things that they might not normally be exposed to if they were just depending on what era you're talking about, listening to an album or a cassette or <laughs> music uh, CD, on yeah. your uh, streaming music on your uh, <laughs> um, your device. So uh, I think that's great. Um, it's so funny that you say expose, just to interrupt you, it's so funny that you say expose because um, I feel like my entire high school band career was spent on a stage at a Qantas festival, either with concert band or jazz band. And it's like, the only music that I was listening to was that music because that's all we did. <laughs> like going the fest- going on the festival cir- circuit and competition isn't necessarily competing against other bands, but competing against yourself kind of thing. And you spent a lot of time traveling to festival and that's what we call it. It's time. It's like festival season. We're going to festival. We made it to festival. We got a gold medal at festival. Like, I'm sure it, like Kiwanis would like me to say it's the Kiwanis Music Festival, but we just called it festival. <laughs> so uh, that brings up so many memories. Anyway, there you go. I'm one of those Kiwanis Festival kids. Yeah, and Kiwanis Festivals are all over, all over, uh, not just in Niagara, but everywhere. Yes, so, where I grew up, yeah, not in great, Niagara. Yeah, sure. that's right. Um, the mission of the Kiwanis Music Festival, according to their website, is to encourage, nurture, and support performances and educational activities within St. Catharines where musicians can enhance their interpretive and musical styles as a means of strengthening character development and celebrating the enjoyment of the arts. Which I thought was really, really a great mission statement to have. I love that they've included in here strengthening character development uh, because, you know, it's really hard to have your your work uh, crit- critiqued by a professional and a lot of the adjudicators in our local Kiwanis Festival, and I'm sure it was in yours as well, are pretty well-known well-respected and sometimes really famous musicians and they're the person that's listening and critiquing your work and you know the experience I had with my kids in the Qantas Festival is that they're all so nice and generous with their uh, their time and their um, their knowledge uh, that it was just such a, a, a great building experience for them. So anyway, um, so that took me uh, uh, in the research about this festival to a gent named John Collins, who apparently was known as Mr. Kiwanis for many cool. years uh, because he was the longtime festival chairperson uh, from pro- I think he was probably around in 1976 when Kiwanis took over and he was around for until 1997. So he was oh. there for quite a long time. Yeah, a long time. Uh, and uh, he really uh, was the guy who kind of made the festival more uh, professional in some ways. He was uh, 
it sounded like he was quite a, a good fundraiser. He had a lot of innovative ideas about how to increase funding to the festival, so through advertising and those kinds of things in their programs. And uh, uh, so it provided, uh, you know, a bigger venue uh, for local musicians, but also uh, helped to develop the scholarship program that uh, they have as part of their, uh, their festival, uh, which helps to they actually give out quite a bit of money, relatively uh, give a lot of bit, a lot of money to um, to students to be able to continue their musical career. I mean, it's not gonna you know buy you a yacht or anything, but it might help you to uh, to buy a new musical instrument or to buy some more sheet music, which can be fairly pricey, <laughs> or you know to help pay for your lessons as you go along. And so, uh, so I think that's a really great uh, a great thing about these kinds of festivals, uh, the, the the Qantas Festival. I think that's what it's called pretty much everywhere now. Uh, I'm assuming so anyway in Ontario. Uh, interestingly, which I didn't know, the divisions of the festival include strings, brass, vocal, guitar, which I don't know why it isn't included in strings, but guitar, woodwind, dance, piano, and speech arts. I don't know what speech arts are, I, do you? <laughs> I'm just laughing because I'm sure if there was someone who played guitar I know, I'm sorry. on here. I'm sorry, people. Or someone, who played, <laughs> or someone who played violin on here would say, why would we include guitar and strings? And why would I include strings and guitar? I think it's just the popularity of guitar is like it's such a such a um, accessible instrument that, uh, yeah. Um, I'm not surprised that there's a separate... Speech arts... Uh, oh, that's a tough one. Is that I'm like not, spoken word music or be. is it like doing a speech like you do in school? I don't know what that is. I didn't have time to find the answer. So if anyone's yeah, listening and it, you know the answer, put it in the group in the chat. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, though. But I didn't realize that the music festival also included dance, which I think is really great. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's tons of, of different opportunities for dance recitals, but this kind of thing is, is different if you're going to have an adjudicator come in and look at your work and, and talk about it. So I think that's great. Mm -hmm. um, so I got, that was almost all my hour. I spent, it feels like, oh I know, it doesn't feel like yeah. I got too much information. I actually did try to go, and during that hour, I did some searching to see if I can find some photos in our collection, which I wasn't able to find, but looked through a lot of photos. And then I also went to the St. Catherine's history book uh, to see if there was anything uh, noted in there about uh, any music festivals, to be honest, and this one in particular. And the only note was the year that it started in 19, uh, 1933. So that was all that, uh, that I could find in there. Uh, and then I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent about other music festivals in Niagara because there have been lots over the years, actually, uh, but not a lot have continued for the length of time. Uh, so Kiwanis has obviously been around for a long time, but that is really the only one that fits that specific definition of a music festival. Um, other ones have been more like the definition that you read earlier, which is kind of a, you know, um, an organized series of concerts or plays. Uh, and that's what led me to eventually getting to the uh, TD Niagara Jazz Festival, which is uh, really the one that's kind of been around the longest otherwise and has continued on, um, at least in St. Catharines that I could think of off the top of my head. There's probably others, and I'm sorry for 
people who are running other music festivals that I'm not aware of. But then when I was searching through there, it was like all these festivals that had happened in the past that just didn't continue. And I was, it kind of saddened me to think of like the scene festival or something like that, that uh, used to exist that, uh, that we haven't had uh, here. Uh, that has been kind of every year for so many years. And probably that's because it's just a lot of work <laughs> and a lot to pull something like this together. Yeah. Um, but uh, kudos to uh, to the TD Niagara Jazz Festival, uh, people who have been going since officially since 2013, um, wow. but have, I'm sure uh, Juliet uh, Dunn has been working on it for, was working on it for many years prior to that in an unofficial capacity. Uh, and uh, so, um, so that's where I ended up. I didn't get too much further. Most of the, I spent a lot of my research time reading, looking for, for things in our collection, which I couldn't find. So right. Uh, hey, sadly. that's part of research. Yeah. It is shocking how quickly an hour has gone. It used to feel like, it's like, how am I going to, what am I going to look at for an hour? But it, for, for some reason, uh, between this season and last season, it seems like an hour has shortened. Uh, that's really cool. Uh, thanks for sharing your research journey with us. That's, uh, that's awesome. And I, I forgot about uh, the educational festival part. So that's really great. Um, so I mentioned before, as I, st I started at the Pythian Games in Delphi, and then... <laughs> I'm glad you went way ancient, back further. In ancient Greece. Um, and I ended up later, later at Royal Albert Hall, which I'll talk about. But I, my, before I started researching, I was saying I had two questions for myself. One was, I wonder what the history of the Boris Brot Festival is, because, of course, we lost Boris Brot this year, tragically. But the festival continued uh, last month or a few weeks ago. And so that's great, except that I never got to it. Uh, Boris Brot was a famous conductor in Hamilton. Okay. And uh, he was tragically uh, hit by a car oh. uh, this early this year. And uh, oh, and he had, uh, yeah. And the Boris Brot Festival was this long-running classical musical festival in, in Hamilton. And had a ton of benefit for not just the classical musical, uh, the music scene in Hamilton, but also just tourism in Hamilton. And he was uh, very passionate about music in the in the horseshoe. So I never got there, but just wanted to make sure that I said his name uh, for the record. I think that's important. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that I want to do is what is the oldest festival. Well, there you go. The oldest festival <laughs> uh, is the Pythian Games at Delphi because, and it's classified as a, a festival because it included musical performances right. uh, and is considered one of the earliest festivals. There's a huge variety of uh, music festivals. We've talked a little bit about it. Jazz, classical, blues. Those are the big ones. Uh, pop music as well has as big cultural festivals like uh, Coachella or um, Woodstock yeah. or or whatever, those big ones. But uh, the interesting thing is that festivals aren't just about people listening to music, but they're supposed to be, or the why, why they, as they've been studied, why they're so popular is that they're a way to create cultural identity, lifestyle, belonging, and I think the most important is the atmosphere that uh, enables or facilitates escapism. When you're at a festival, yeah. you got no troubles. 
no troubles, which is great. <laughs> Especially something like Coachella yeah. or it's all encompassing. You know, yeah, one of those yeah. huge uh, out in the middle of uh, uh, Glastonbury or someplace like yeah. that. You know, they're out in the yeah. middle of wherever you're camping there, probably. Yes, <laughs> your whole life is about that the whole time. Yeah, exactly. So festivals were uh, ba- going back to the Pythian Games. Uh, festivals were often combined events of competitions or games with music and food uh, and they were often centered around significant religious days for example those games which were sort of uh, across Greece with all the various uh, city-states were held in honor of the god Apollo Uh, the games also included uh, competition in art and dance so it wasn't just games, but it was art and dance as well. I think the Olympics so, used to include that as well, didn't it? Yeah. 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 But music festivals as we would recognize them today are more of a product of the 18th century, more of an extension of regular concert seasons. A great example of that extension of a concert season is one of the world's la- uh, largest and oldest and longest running, one of them, longest running music festival, The Proms, uh, which most people would recognize as the BBC Proms. Uh, The Proms is an eight week summer season music festival of daily orchestral classical music concerts and other events held annually. The Proms was founded in 1895. It includes concerts at the Royal Albert Hall, which is very famous um, uh, concert hall in right in London. Uh, Cadogan Hall, Proms in the Park, and the big one, the Last Night at the Proms, or the Last Night of the Proms, which is when you see you've everybody's seen at least a clip of all these people standing on the arena floor of Royal Albert Hall, waving British flags, singing. Rule Britannia or whatever, that's the last night of the proms. It's like one of the most, you know, patriotic uh, staples of the calendar. Proms, of course, stands for promenade. Promenade concerts were where you could walk around gardens, pleasure gardens, and parks while music was being played, which sounds (laughs) awesome. (laughs) The goal of the early festival was to popularize classical music and to generate a wider audience for concert hall music by offering low ticket prices and in and an informal atmosphere. And there's atmosphere again. I found atmosphere being a major theme uh, uh, for all music festivals. Yeah, because who wants to go uh, to someplace that is just... Yeah. Uh... Yeah. So uh, informal atmosphere where eating, drinking, and smoking were permitted to the promenaders. Uh, Those, or sometimes they're called promers, uh, those are the ones that are on the arena floor. Uh, So they don't buy seats, they buy the standing room only on the arena floor, almost like the mosh pit, basically. And that's the beginning, I didn't find this and I ran out of time and that's where I wanted to go next, uh, was the history of the mosh pit, but I'm sure likely started here. It's funny that that (laughs) <laughs> it's funny you went there because in the back of my head, as I'm doing this research, thinking about where I wanted to go with it, all I could think of in my head were people dressed up in 19th century clothing, like bustle and all for the women, standing <laughs> on a concert floor, jumping yep. up and down in their like Victorian <laughs> uh, clothing, listening to what I'm like, what are they listening to? Probably classical music of some sort. So they're all, yes. yeah, 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 in their Victorian clothing. Um, yeah. 
listening to classical music. I'm sure that that exactly. is not at all what it was like. But <laughs> to me, the I'm sure thought it was of it... rowdy. I don't know about the jumping up and down, but the rowdy for sure, uh, definitely, because that was the goal. The goal was to really popularize and make accessible all these what what we would and what they would normally consider stuffy music. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Sir Henry Wood was the first conductor of the proms and is credited with setting the style of the program that they still use today. The first piece played at the proms back in 1895 was the overture to Wagner's uh, Renzi opera. Um, and it's interesting that they picked like a overture to an opera because in the classical music world, opera is kind of like, I don't wanna say pop music, but it's really easy to enjoy. And everything you want in a rousing overture uh, for an opera is usually um, in the overture. Usually, it's usually there. Most people, if you had to sing uh, a tune from a classical music song, would probably pick something from an overture to an opera. Most of Bugs Bunny's conducting gigs on the Bugs Bunny show were to a uh, were to a, the overture of an opera. So it was really about let's not pick something obscure that nobody wants to hear. Let's pick something that people probably know that is really exciting, that's rousing, um, and that's fun to listen to. Wagner though, wow. Yeah. I, I took a I took a listen to it. I'll post I'll post a, a version of it in the footnotes, but it's like it's an overture to an opera. It's like everything is there. It's like exciting, interesting, has a great big finish. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. great. Uh, a bronze bust of uh, Sir Henry Wood, which has its own story, by the way. It survived <laughs> bombing during the Blitz in the 40s. Uh, the bust is still placed in front of the organ at Royal Ab Albert Hall every year. And though everyone knows it as the BBC proms, the tickets actually read BBC Music presents the Henry Wood Promenade Concerts. Nice. Which is pretty cool. The proms was often bogged down by what is known as the deputy system way back in uh, the 1890s and early 1900s in which orchestral players, if offered a better paid engagement, could send a substitute to <laughs> rehearsal or to a concert. This is a really interesting story. You're gonna, I, I hope, uh, yeah, take a listen to this because it's the ending of the story is really cool. They describe the situation as such, that Henry Wood and his partner, um, uh, Robert Newman, described uh, the situation. Musician, musician A, whom you want, signs to play at your concert. He sends musician B, whom you don't mind, to the first <laughs> rehearsal. Without your knowledge or consent, sends C to the second rehearsal. Not being able to play the concert, C sends D, whom you would have paid five shillings to stay away. <laughs> so after rehearsal in 1904, in which Wood was faced with a C, of an entirely unfamiliar faces in his own orchestra, uh, Wood's partner and the producer of the proms and the founder, Robert Newman, came on the platform and announced, quote, gentlemen, in the future, there will be no deputies. Good morning. <laughs> I love that. Uh, 40 players resigned en masse and formed their own orchestra. 
the London Symphony Orchestra, which is one of the, yeah, right? (laughs) Isn't that great? It's one of the oldest, most successful, most famous uh, uh, symphony orchestras in the world, uh, mostly due to their early... um, early adoption by Sir Edward Algar, who is probably the most important British composer, probably of all time, at least in the 19th and 20th centuries. Uh, and the most people would know the music of the LSO because it's frequently called uh, to play movie scores. Oh, yes. The first movie score that they played was in 1922 for a film, uh, The Three Musketeers. But most famously, in 1977, to play John Williams' score for the first Star Wars film. And they've played most of John Williams' scores since. So everybody listening has likely heard the London Symphony Orchestra, which got their start (laughs) on the stage of the BBC proms. That's awesome. Well, not the BBC proms at that time. The proms at that time. But yeah, it's pretty cool. I I thought, holy moly, what a neat story. I had no idea. That's really cool. So the modern day proms usually organize their programs around special anniversaries of composers, like Bach's birthday, or for example, the 250th anniversary of the death of Handel, uh, or another composer. They also have special conductors coming in if it's their birthday. So John Williams had a special concert for him on his 85th birthday, but then he also conducted a concert As I said, it's weeks and weeks, eight weeks of programming, tons of concerts every single day. Did he have a deputy come in and... and, uh... (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't know what what their deputy policy is now. I know uh, that that happens quite a bit in modern times. Um, uh, So you're supposed to find a a sub if you're you're out of luck. Uh, I know it's a common... um, I don't want to say complaint, but situation to be dealt with by conductors today. Sure. So uh, I don't, I imagine there are systems in place so that you don't end up with a completely new orchestra on performance night from the dress rehearsal uh, earlier that day or the night before. Uh, the Anyway, in 2009, the season included 100 concerts for the first time, which is inc- insane. 100 concerts over eight weeks. That's, it's absolutely wild. You wouldn't be able to get to them at all. Uh, today, the day that we are recording this podcast, July 28th, the program this evening, actually, we're, it's probably already started because uh, it's over in England. <laughs> uh, the program this evening is Brahms Requiem. Oh. Tickets are tickets are £8.50 to £42. Uh, proming tickets for the arena floor are £7.12, including taxes That's and fees. That's a great deal. So you can go stand and listen to Brahms Requiem for, for 15, 16 bucks probably. I don't know what the exchange is, but that's an incredible <laughs> that's de- And awesome. listen to some of the best players in, in the UK for sure. And you could be like, yeah, 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 jumping up and down. <laughs> in your mosh pit. I guess Brahms Requiem is really not the right piece of it's, music for that. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I have sung it before. It is exciting. But I don't think that, and I sung it as part of the choir, and I we didn't stand the whole time, and I don't think I could stand the whole time. A lot of those things are, I think it's like 65 minutes. That's a long time yeah. to either stand or like sit on the floor. But for seven pounds 12, that's pretty good. But the, I guess the cheap seats up 
up, up, up our eight pounds fifty. So that's also not that's not, not bad. too bad. And so I would have has expected proms tickets to be upwards of hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So I think the idea is that they're still, especially for such like a beautiful venue like uh, Royal Albert Hall, where like the Queen goes often. <laughs> you know, members of the royal family are there like at least once a month for something. You'd have really expensive tickets, but it's actually very accessible. Uh, which is awesome and true to the original mission of Henry Wood and Robert Newman. So that's where I ended up, on the floor of Royal wow. Albert Hall in London, England, for tonight's performance of the of Brahms Requiem. That's great. So is it going to be yeah. like streamed as well that you can watch it when you get home? Oh, I don't know. It'd be interesting. I don't know if you can buy a stream. <laughs> I, I don't think I'd want to. Honestly, it, there's something about the streamed music and i think they ran into this during during the lockdowns during the pandemic uh i'm sure all music festivals ran into this idea of like oh we could we could stream them but the problem with that is that the success of music festivals are clearly based on the atmosphere that they provide their audience so that's why so many festivals are so successful for so many different genres of music it's not only about the music it could be classical jazz there's um like edm yeah and house music festivals i appreciate that but i couldn't listen to that for a long time <laughs> so and i'm sure like other people couldn't listen to Brahms for a long time so it's it's not just about the music it's about the atmosphere and i think that's what's so great about summer music festivals yeah i think a lot of those like edm is a great example is you're not standing there listening to edm for three days straight you're you might be if you're that hardcore but you're also you know roaming around and you're going to different stages and there's different uh different things happening around you which is is pretty cool yeah some other things i didn't get into that are related to festivals are like the uh, summer fair yeah or the fall time fair uh and also the fate yes uh, which is like the british version uh and those who have been listening to the podcast for a long time know that i love the show midsummer murders <laughs> and it always appears that somebody gets murdered At the fate. Well, while the, <laughs> while the fate is happening and the fate is always central to the plot somehow so uh maybe a future season can cover fates <laughs> that sounds great that's awesome, awesome. That's, that's totally not at all where I thought our podcast was going to go. So that's great. I thought we might actually talk about some pla- something like Woodstock or Live Aid yeah. or any of these wanted, large yeah. concerts. But obviously, both of us went in a totally different direction. <laughs> I wanted to get there, but it just, uh, again, yeah. an hour is not yeah, enough for sure. Yeah. Thanks for coming down the rabbit hole with us. Make sure to subscribe to One Hour in the Past and the museum's other podcast, Museum Chat Live, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, so you don't miss any of the amazing historical adventures. We're always looking for ideas to spend one hour in the past researching. If you have a topic you'd like to see us tackle, connect with us at www.facebook.com slash Museum or at STC Museum on Twitter and Instagram. Next time on One Hour in the Past, the history of cell phones and computers. One Hour in the Past is produced by us, Kathleen Powell and Adrian Petrie, and brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Well Canal Centre and the City of St. Catharines. <laughs>